to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Today I'm speaking on Be Subject to the Ruling Authorities. And as always, I speak a new way. Now in, what, in 1 Corinthians 14 it says, Prophets should speak. And the others should weigh carefully what is said. And today I might say things you've never heard before. And so it would be right for you to weigh it up and think, does that sound right to me? If you want more information or if you want to challenge me on something, of course you can. You could come and see me or phone me or write to me. But please do it the old-fashioned way when we respectfully discuss things we found. Don't cancel me out and cause a riot and get me kicked out of the country as people do nowadays. I'm going to read Romans 13 to you. And I expect a reaction. It's headed submission to authorities. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which is from God. The authorities that exist have been appointed by God. Consequently, whoever resists authority is opposing what God has set in place. And those who do so will bring judgment upon themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will have his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not carry the sword in vain. Pepper spray road spikes. He is God's servant, an agent of retribution to the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to authority, not only to avoid punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who devote themselves to their work. Pay everyone what you owe him. Taxes, to whom taxes are due. Revenue, to whom revenue is due. Respect, to whom respect is due. Honour, to whom honour is due. Now, there's three reactions to that. And if I went out into the street there, I'd get three different reactions. One reaction is this. No one tells me what to do. I ain't doing what people tell me to do. One reaction. Number two. Okay, whatever you say. Whatever the government says, yep, I'll do it. Whatever mum and dad says, the teacher, the pastor, Jeremy, yep, you say it, it's fine, I'll believe it. Pulpit of truth, yep, Jacinda. And number three is, hey, whoa, it's more, it's more complicated than that. Do we always have to be subject to authority? Now, you would have responded one of those three ways, as I read. And I'm going to unpack those a bit. Reaction one, no one tells me what to do. I ain't doing what you tell me. There's a name for that. It's called rebellion or rebelliousness. It runs deep in human nature. And it runs in our nation, too. And it leads to misery. You know, when I've, I've told you this before, but when Hannah was little, I used to go to Mary Street netball courts and watch the netball. And there was a fashionable shirt of the day, which little boys, preschoolers, used to wear. I think only boys. And it said this, I'm the boss, and I don't take shit from nobody. That shirt. I used to think, I hope I don't meet you when you're 14. And guess what? I got a job at Huntley College, and I met those boys when they were 14. Isn't life funny? So there we are. Now, I, I, I had a lot to do with those boys. This is pretty hard pushing. <laughs> but I'll tell you one story that sticks in my mind. 
It was near the end of the year. The seniors had gone off on exams. There was a big tree outside the room where I was teaching, and my music class was having a practice session, which was really chill. And under the big tree, in the shade, on a lovely summer's day, were a few boys sitting around jamming on guitars. I was up the top of the steps, uh, just listening, enjoying the music, enjoying the day, and thinking, I'm getting paid for this. And a, little, and a young boy of about 14 stomped along the concrete, not in my class. He came up the steps, step, 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 up to me, stood right in front of me and started kicking me. Kick, kick, kick. And yelling at me, this is not your kura. This is our kura. Now we'll call that boy Dez, all right? There's no logic in that. It was a nice day. I'd never had any fights with this boy. We hadn't, didn't have a bad history. There's no logic. Where did that come from? I'm going to suggest to you today that rebellion is a spiritual force. There was rebellion in this boy's heart, and it didn't need logic to express it. The first people to colonize these islands that we live on were the Polynesians. And the Polynesians brought conflicting values. A respect for elders, you know that. But also an admiration of rebellion. Every culture has its strong stories. Stories that really affect the way we think. And with us, it's the powerful stories of Jesus, isn't it? The death, the resurrection, the life, the things Jesus taught us, and the stories of how God dealt with his people through the ages. Those are the powerful stories that influence us. When I went to school, we were fed the Maui stories. Have you heard the Maui stories? Somebody said that pagan gods are like naughty children with superpowers. That's a pretty good description, isn't it? Did anyone see the film Moana? They had a pretty good take on Maui, didn't they? He was a big, naughty boy with superpowers. And if you think about the Maui stories, Maui disobeyed his brothers and went out in the boat, didn't he? He sent his fish hook down and he pulled up the house of Tangaro. And Tangaro was very grumpy about that, but Maui didn't care. Maui beat up the sun. Maui disrespected Mahuika, the goddess of fire. And in the end, Maui took on Hine Nui Te Po, but he lost the battle in that one. But if you look at the themes that run right through the Maui stories, it's disrespect for authority, because they were all his elders, that makes, that, makes them work. Now, early, early Europeans who came to this land noted that young chiefs used to sit on the roof of meeting houses to talk with each other. And they didn't understand why that was. But we do. You see, the meeting house in those days represented an important ancestor. The ridge of the meeting house was his backbone. And by those chiefs, those young chiefs, sitting on the roof, they were saying, I am so high-born, I am so tapu, that my nono is more tapu than my ancestor's backbone. It was an act of profound disrespect. And our culture also, of course, comes from Britain. Think about the first British people who came here before the treaty. Many of them were rough dudes. There were was, there was sailors who jumped off their ship and deserted. That was illegal. It was rebellious. They could have been arrested. And some of the people who came here were escaped prisoners. They'd escaped from a nearby prison called New South Wales and come to here. And here they were wandering around in New Zealand, no accountability. There were occasions where Parkeus murdered Maori and no accountability at all, no law, no tribal authority. It was a bad situation. 
You know, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, it says, Rebellion is as of the sin of witchcraft. Sorry, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And when I was young, I used to think that meant that rebellion is as bad as witchcraft. But I believe it means more than that. Rebellion is actually very close to witchcraft. Because what it says is, I ain't doing it anyone else's, anyone else's way. I'm going to do it my way. Thank you, Frank Sinatra. Is there any rebellion in us? Is there any rebellion in you? My generation were the hippies, all right? And, bef and just before me uh, were the sort of the bodgies and the rock and rollers. And rebellion was way up there. If we go back to the 1920s, 30s, when my parents grew up, that whole rebelliousness of youth wasn't there. Kids grew up to be like their mum and dad. They dressed like them, act like them, like the same music. But the time came when it was very important to rebel. So hippies, that's my generation. They say, okay, my dad has his hair cut short, so I will grow mine long. My dad dresses smartly, so I'll be a scruff. All right? My dad thinks that uh, you should work hard and save, so I'll drop out, bum out, and just uh, smoke drugs. It was a profound rebellion. And that rebellion's been baked into my generation, and many people have carried it through. I was think, thinking when I was preparing this about two Christian leaders that I know and really like. But one Christian leader said to me, I hate it when somebody tells me what to do. Well, he wouldn't like today's message, would he? It just stirs up something in him. And another Christian leader that I was talking to a few weeks back got stopped at one of these traffic stops. You know where the policeman says, uh, hello, just doing a breath test? He says, he was really bad attitude. He says, why are they doing this? Why, why, who's going to be drunk at this time of the morning? This is ridiculous. Why don't they get out and chase some real criminals? See, now that's actually, it's not that big a deal, is it? Stopping for a minute to breathe in the thingy. But it's, it's that, that something stirs up inside, and that's rebellion. I mean, at a traffic stop, how do you react? With a quiet heart? Do you smile? Thank you, Mr. Policeman. I do. Say, so, thanks for keeping us safe. Good. You give him a lolly, do you? Are you allowed to do that? Bribing a policeman. Ooh, you didn't hear that. Now, I, I talked about a quiet heart, and I think that a quiet heart is a good thing to have. Sometimes your heart goes, and it means something's going on there. If, the police, if you see the reds and blues in the mirror and your heart is quiet, you probably haven't got anything to worry about. Reaction two. Yes, boss, whatever you say, our job is to obey. We obey the PM, the Prime Minister, we obey our teacher, Dad. Yeah, yeah, but what about this? Next scripture, next um, slide, please. Sorry, slide workers, thanks. And what, what that says, this is a, talking about Peter and John in the Bible. It says, Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. These were authorities. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than God. That's pretty confronting. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Sometimes our greater loyalty to God means that we have to go against the wishes of authorities, even if we respect them. Sometimes there are important issues where we must stand against evil. We must stand against bullying, and we must stand against injustice by the authorities. And Christians have done that. You see, the slave trade was stopped by Christians who confronted people like John Newton. The child labor exploitation that was going on after the Industrial Revolution, the factories of England with dirty, dangerous conditions where little kids worked all day, all week. And it was Christians who came against that and said, give them a childhood. 
William Wilberforce is famous for that, and that's why they started Sunday schools, because only Sunday was the only day those kiddies didn't have to work in the factory. That was the only day they could go to school. And what about William Booth? You see, when William Booth started the foundation, founded the, the Salvation Army, to prostitute a six-year-old was completely legal. So the whole idea of age of consent came from a Christian, William Booth, who said no. We owe a lot to Christians. And it was the Christians in Britain who said, we can't just go into a country and claim it and take it over. You see, they had done it before. And so had everyone else. Spain did it. France did it. Teroparaha did it. And Hongiheka did it. People used to do it. If we're strong enough, we'll just take it over. But it was the Christians in Britain who said, no, that's not the right way to do it. About which more later. You see, when Paul wrote, be subject to the ruling authorities, he knew sometimes we would have to stand up against authority, and we should. Paul was an authority himself, and he dragged off Christians to prison, and he busted up families simply because they were Christians. So he knew that authorities weren't always right. But standing up against injustice is not rebellion. When I was a hippie, oh, I still am one, I know. But when I started being a hippie, there was a poster and it said, Jesus Christ, rebel with a cause. And I objected. I said, Jesus was not a rebel. Jesus' whole life was motivated by submission, submission to the will of God. And if that brought him up against the authorities, so be it. But I believe there wasn't an ounce of rebellion in Jesus and shouldn't be in us. If we stand up against evil, we do it with a quiet heart, not motivated by hatred or revenge or anything like that, but simply by the fact that our God is so good that we must submit to him instead of you. Sorry. <laughs> Reaction three. I was apologizing to the person, the authorities, not you, but thanks. Anyway, Jane, yeah, I like this gal. Can you sit at the front every time? That's fun. <laughs> and reaction three is this. Whoa, this is complicated. We're not rebellious. But authorities are corrupt, and we have terrible laws. In our country, the Prime Minister, a new mother, passed under urgency a law which completely removed all protection from unborn children. My son thinks he's a girl, and the teachers at school are backing that up. I'm worried they're going to castrate him without me being able to stop them. They're criminalising good parents, and they're letting thugs and murderers go free. Police can't act because the government says they're not meant to. How can we submit to authorities like that? They're not good. That's hard, isn't it? So how could Paul write that? Get Paul! Now, Paul, thanks for coming here today. We want you to explain a bit about this, because this has upset some good people in our, in our, our group here. Paul, can you explain? Do you know anything about harsh or ungodly laws? Well, yes, Jeremy, I do. Do you remember that in my day, King Herod had all the little boys killed? That was pretty harsh, wasn't it? During the reign of Emperor Nero, a law was passed that wearing purple, wearing purple was only for senators. Anyone else who wore anything purple would be put to death. When I was younger, says Paul, I persecuted Christians. There was no religious freedom. And I've been arrested, I've been imprisoned, I've been beaten almost to death more than once simply for being a Christian. Yeah, I know about harsh laws, says Paul. The soldiers enforce the law with the sword and they're not scared to use it. 
Tell us about your laws, Jeremy. How are they made? And this is what I answer Paul. I speak up. I say this. Most countries are founded by war and conquest and bloodshed, but not ours. Our country started with an agreement between friends. How's that? In the early 1800s, New Zealand was a very savage and dangerous place. It was very troubled. There were historic tribal wars which had run for hundreds of years, but all of a sudden with the arrival of firearms, they got much, much worse and they became genocides. Where whole tribes were wiped out, actually um, annihilated was the word that Marcia used with me last week. Or else they had to completely flee their own land to get away from the, from the bloodshed. In the early 1800s, 20,000 people are believed to have died in tribal wars in New Zealand. And added into that, we had all sorts of British immigrants. Many of them were criminals. They'd escaped from, the, from New South Wales. There were murders. There was no accountability. And so Queen Victoria made an offer, and she made it clear in writing that there was no pressure, that the Maori people were invited to do something. She said this, Victoria, the Queen of England, in her concern to protect the chiefs and the sub-tribes of New Zealand, and in her desire to preserve their chieftainship and their lands to them, and maintain peace and good order, so the Queen desires to establish a government, so that no evil will come to Maori and European living in a state of lawlessness. And Paul says, that doesn't sound like any of our kings. Article 1 says this, the chiefs give to the Queen sovereignty. Now, Henry Williams had to translate that into Māori. And he goes, there isn't really a Māori word for sovereignty. Do you know which word he chose? Kawanatanga. Kawanatanga. That means governorship or government. So the first article of the Treaty of Waitangi gave the government the right to govern. That's the first article. And New Zealand at that point became a part of New South Wales. Whoa, wouldn't that have shocked those prison escapers? Bingo, all of a sudden they are back in New South Wales and they didn't even have to go there. So Paul says, so did the Queen just m m pick leaders to make laws? Here's the answer. At first, yes, but not for long. New Zealand soon became a nation of its own. Slay, uh, um, now we pick our own leaders. Wow, says Paul, so every free man gets to vote. Well, no, there are no slaves left anymore. Slavery was abolished. Everyone became free. British criminals were brought to justice. So Paul says, so every man can vote? And I say, well, yes, every man could vote. But listen to what Kate Shepherd said. If we have to obey the law, then we ask for a voice in the making of that law. So in our country, men, women, old, young, native-born, immigrant, rich people and poor people, they all vote and they can all be elected into parliament. Paul is shocked. So women vote? Your country's amazing. And my answer to that, thank you for reminding us, Paul, because sometimes we forget. We forget how amazing our life is, don't we? The freedom we enjoy. So Paul asks, he says, does the system work well? Not always. When a law is made, the government has to give a chance for everyone to have a say. But sometimes the government doesn't listen to what the people want. 
And sometimes people make promises, so we vote for them, and then they get into parliament and they don't keep the promises. But if that happens, we can pick new leaders. You see, really, we're all chiefs. Article 2 of the Treaty of Waitangi said this, the Queen guaranteed full, exclusive and undisturbed possession of lands and possessions. Now Henry Williams didn't really have a Māori word for possession. So do you know what word he chose? He chose the words tino rangatiratanga. Have a look at that. This is what it says, and I'll translate it. The, these, this is from the Māori version, of course. Ki nga tangata katoa to all the people, or new tirani of New Zealand, te tino rangatiratanga, the complete chieftainship, or rato wenua of their lands, or rato kainga of their villages, me orato taonga katoa, and of all their possessions. Now, not only did, the, did, did this translation give all the people of New Zealand the possession of the things they own, but do you notice it said that all the people of New Zealand are chiefs? It was a strange quirk of translation. Henry, Henry Williams put in there. But you know what? I believe it was prophetic that it's actually true. Now, if I was in a formal Maori setting here, I would address you as rangatira ma. I would show respect by addressing you as chiefs. But in reality, we really are, and I'll explain how. Who's the big chief of New Zealand right now? Who is it? Who would you say? Is it Chris Hipkins? It's not. Chris Hipkins, is it? Because if Chris Hipkins is the big chief right now, it's up to us whether he keeps his job next month or not. So really the chiefs of New Zealand, to be honest, is us. Because even the most important people you can think of in New Zealand are put there by ordinary people. It's a very unusual country. I want to tell you something. I want to just do a little promotion here. When I went to school a long time ago, one of our most upstanding citizens that we heard about was a man called Te, te, up, uh, te uh, sorry, Sir Aparanangata. Sir Aparanangata was an amazing man. He was raised in the old Māori way at the foot of the elders. He didn't himself see the signing of the Treaty of the Waitangi, but he was raised by people who knew about the treaty, who were there and could see what had happened. When he grew up, uh, Aparanangata got a law degree in only two years, for goodness sake. He was a brilliant man. So he was very, very versed in both what we might call Western knowledge and Maori knowledge. And he was an amazing Christian man who gave his life, devoted his life to the well-being and the welfare of the Maori people. That's why he was Sir Aparanangata. He was knighted. Now, Sir Aparanangata said, lots of people talk about the Treaty of Waitangi but often their information is wrong and they don't really know about it. An old lady asked him, what's it about the treaty? So he wrote a, wrote a book and it started like this. My dear old lady, I'm going to explain what the Treaty of Waitangi is like. The, the, book was, or the, the booklet was called Te Tiriti or Waitangi, He Whakamarama. And it was written in Māori, by Māori, for Māori. But you're very privileged today because I have in my hand an English translation. I think it's excellent. 
I commend it to you. I have four copies to lend out today, and I hope that people will take them, read them, and pass them on, because it's written from somebody who weighs, who has great weight. We hear hundreds of voices on the treaty, but you won't meet many who know as much as this man did. Now, if you'd prefer, if you email me, I'll send you a link to it online, and the advantage of that is that you can also look up the Māori original as well as the English translation, which was made at the time. So the English translation is, is original as well. Very highly recommended. When Paul wrote, be subject to the ruling authorities, even unholy ones, oh, sorry, we can hardly imagine how harsh his authorities were. Our authorities aren't perfect, but most of the time, authorities, even unholy ones, encourage good behaviour, like Paul said. I mean, they tell us to drive safely. That's okay, isn't it? That's good behaviour. They tell us to turn down the music at 10 p.m. so the, so the neighbours can sleep. That's fair enough, isn't it? That's good behaviour. They tell us to pay our rates so that the rubbish truck guys get paid. That's fair. They tell us to stop stealing. Oof, good call. They tell us to, to, to live in peace. Don't park in the disabled space. And those things are all to help us have good lives, aren't they? Even corrupt authorities, most of the things they tell us are pretty darn good. There's nothing wrong with those things. But when authorities make corrupt laws and they switch good and bad, we need to speak up like Christian heroes before us. And when that happens, may God grant us courage, wisdom, and grace. So when new laws are made, the government is meant to give us a chance to comment. Grab the chance. Write in. Speak. Because you can. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says this, we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. And if we lead tranquil, quiet lives, we stay out of trouble, we don't make a fuss, we don't back chat the policeman when he gives us a breath test. If we do all those things, then people know that we are people of peace. And when we speak up, other people listen. We used to have a little boy came to church here and went to Sunday school and he'd go to the school and he'd say to the teacher, oh, you're stupid, you don't know anything, blah, 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 he'd mouth off. His mother was so proud of him, ha, oh, ha, he put that teacher right. But you see, the teacher didn't really listen. My daughter Hannah went to school as well, I mean, you know, tied in, fitted in, okay, and, and did her work and got on well with people. Well, one day when she was about 14, 15, she said, sir, that is not right. The teacher had told them something. And everybody went, ooh, because Hannah didn't make a fuss. So when she did say something, everybody listened. There was a bit of an argument. The teacher said, Hannah, we're not here to talk about your religious beliefs. This is science. She said, sir, I am talking about science. And when the lesson ended, all the kids gathered around Hannah and said, so was that true, Hannah? Tell us. And after every science lesson, Hannah's little friends would come around and say, tell us, Hannah, was he telling the truth today? If you tell the truth most of the, or sorry, if you, if you lead a peaceful life, then people notice when you make a fuss. Now, the media didn't tell us this, but if you went down to the Wellington protest, you'd find that the people around there, they weren't fuss people. They were, they were nurses, police, teachers, drivers, people who'd worked hard, paid taxes, fitted in. But one day they said, we have to stand up. We have to. And that's why I've got respect for the Wellington protest. We didn't hear the full story for the mainstream media, but they were just ordinary people. They weren't fusspots. They weren't moaners. And if you're not a moaner, people will listen when you speak. Think about that. I've got some takeaways from my talk today. 
And here they are. Takeaway number one, raise children well. Normalize respect in your household. And in my house, that meant no Maui stories and no Barbie dolls and no TV because the values that those things put across were values I did not want my girls to adopt. One of the nicest things you can teach your kids, said someone, is to do as they're told. Then they'll always be welcome. Uh-huh. Then you'll always be welcome. Yeah, if, so if kids come to your house and say, hey, come on, everyone, pack up, and they all pack up, they'll come back, can't they? Oh, I didn't get that out. Oh, I don't want you back. So if kids do as they're told, they're welcome back. Did, did the Welshers overdo it? No, we didn't overdo it. Because when our girls grew up, they were quite bold in calling out injustice and untruth. Takeaway two, be subject to the ruling authorities. Lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. And when you need to speak up, people will listen. Takeaway number three, when it's time to call out something that is wrong, pray, plan, and speak up with courage. And takeaway number four, realize this is an area of tension. This is a matter of conscience. And amongst your brothers and sisters in the room, when it comes to the tension between do we obey the authorities, as the Bible says we should, or do we call out injustice and bullying as we know we should? Where do we draw the line there? On this issue, do we go with the authorities or do we stand up? Realize, please, that each of us in the room has our own conscience to deal with and hears from God in our own way. If another person in this room makes a decision different to what you would have done, do not judge. Realize that they may be acting in a way that exact, is exactly what God has told them. And it might be different to the way God has told you. And finally, to all you chiefs out there, all you tino rangatira, I've got some advice on voting. Don't be scared. It's not as bad as you think. When you're going to vote, I'm going to ask you, when you use this precious vote that we've got, look at the different parties and candidates carefully and thoughtfully, learning as much as you can. Which ones are most likely to promote and uphold the values that you have. None will be a perfect match. But if you have to compromise, what are the most important things to hold on to? Now that's why I haven't voted yet, because I'm still learning things about the candidates and the parties. I know more than I did two weeks ago. I commend to you the interviews that Family First has put on the internet. Because on those interviews with candidates, instead of yelling at them and interrupting all the time and trying to score points, they ask the candidates questions and then they let them answer, giving quite a different impression to the mainstream media who's trying to score points all the time. Family first interviews. Number two, if you find that the party or candidate you have chosen is unlikely to get into parliament because they probably won't get enough votes, decide if that matters to you. That matters to some people, and it doesn't matter to some people. One woman this week said, I don't mind. I voted for that person because that's giving me a voice. Number three, if you or your family always votes for the same party, stop and think. Is it still the same party? I believe all the parties in Parliament have changed very much in recent years. Alfred Naro was a cabinet minister in the national government. And he says this, I didn't leave the party, the party left me. I have remained true to my values, 
but the party moved, and so I could no longer be in it. This is Alfred Naro, who is speaking tonight, um, and I hope we can make it. A good man, a decent man, who's brought his Christianity right into his political life. And number four, stop and think again. Are you still the same person as you were before? Or have your values and understandings changed as time has gone on? Kate Shepherd said this. No, oh, oh, we've missed it. That's Saraparanangata. Yep, that's him. This is, this is Kate Shepherd's um, next slide. It says this. Do not think your single vote does not matter much. The rain that refreshes the parched ground is made up of single drops. That's Kate Shepherd on voting. And as I like to do, I'm going to give the last word to God. Could we have, please, the next slide? Be indebted to no one except to one another in love. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law, the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not covet. And any other commandments are summed up in this one decree. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. God bless you all. Rangatira ma. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.